0: Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. I say this every time, and it's always true. I have a really special show for you today. This week I sat down with Brooks Peck and Amy Simon from the Experience Music Project, the EMP. It's the the big museum here in Seattle. It also includes the Science Fiction Museum. What's that you say, rock and roll and science fiction combined? Does that remind you of someone that you know? It's me, it's me. It's my favorite things, all in one place. So getting to talk to some people who work at the EMP was really special in and of itself. But it was made even more special because what we were talking about. Coming up very soon at the EMP, they were opening a Star Trek exhibit. Ah, it's all my favorite shit all in one place. Not only are they opening a Star Trek exhibit, but they're having a party for it, and I am actually going to host the opening party. You may remember, if you've listened to the show for a while, that last year I got to host the Star Wars closing party when they closed down their Star Wars exhibit. And when I found out that a Star Trek party was coming, I actually, I went after it. I was like, I want this, I want to host this party. I want to be on stage in a Star Trek uniform in a room full of people who have seen all of Star Trek and just be able to share my joy with the entire room full of people. And, and that's going to happen. That's coming up on May 20th, the the landing party for the Star Trek exhibit at the EMP. And I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. It's. But I'm so excited. I can't even tell you how excited I am. I've already ordered my new uniform online so that I can look sharp. Uh, when I signed up for this, I knew that Denise Crosby was going to be guest uh, guesting at the event. But then I found out after I'd already accepted it that Brent Spiner was going to be there. Oh, my God. My brain's going to explode. It's going to be so great. I've been thinking so much about uh, just Star Trek in general recently because I always do and also because I went to see the uh, the Star Trek symphony thing that happened here in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and it was so incredible. Uh, the moment that really got to me was when they played the Ressican flute song from The Inner Light. I know I've mentioned The Inner Light on the show before because it's very much thought of as the best episode of The Next Generation, and there's always been this part of me that used to think... Yeah, I mean, sure, it's like a really great episode, but there's like other episodes that are better, right? There's other episodes that are more fun, like uh, other episodes where you you get a better sense of the crew. But I just watched the Inner Light. I'm recording this this voiceover right now, minutes after watching the Inner Light, and it's the best one. It's the best one. I had tears pouring down my face three separate times during during the during the show. The first one was when Picard was talking to his daughter, Maribor, how she wanted to marry someone sooner rather than later because their planet might be dying. And he said, you know, like, seize the time that you have left. That really got to me. And then, of course, spoiler alert for the inner light. You've all seen it if you're listening to this. Uh, Spoilers. Three, two, one. Here we go. The moment where Picard's wife dies. I was crying more. And then, of course, the moment at the end where he has that realization that none of it has been real, but he is going back to the life that he remembers. And just the way that it's performed is so incredible. There's no other episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that will make you cry that many times, will make me cry that many times. So is it my favorite episode ever? Probably not. I think there's other episodes that if I could only watch one episode over and over, that's what it would be. Is it the best episode ever? I think assuredly, yes. I think it is the best episode of the next generation. It reaches an emotional height that no other episode touches. It gets close so many times. Of course, All Good Things Part 1 and 2, oh my God, so good. And definitely, definitely gets right up there. But The Inner Light, holy shit, that's the one. That's the one that just does it. Uh, I watched it with someone who's, who's very special to me. And it was, I'd been waiting to watch it. You know, I've been watching through TNG again since I started the show because they re released it on Netflix. I, shortly after I started the podcast, I started my rewatch of TNG. And I stalled right before The Inner Light. I didn't quite want to watch that episode because I wanted to wait for the perfect moment and the perfect person to watch it with. And I had that tonight. And it was really special. Uh, it was really, really great. So, yeah, Star Trek on the Mind recently. I'll be hosting this party. There's a very good chance that I'll be able to meet Denise Crosby and Brent Spiner. Ooh, I just had nerd chills. Excuse me. Speaking of nerd chills, there's going to be so many in this podcast. Uh, Brooks, Amy, and I just nerd out. This is going to be another two-parter because we talked for quite a while about amazing, fantastic, nerdgasmic, wonderful shit that I am so excited to share with you. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation, and to lead us into it this time, because I know you want to hear it now, I know you want to hear it, here's a little bit of that Resican flute song, and then I'll bring you the Star Trek Next Generation theme song, just to lighten the mood before we go into this wonderful, fun conversation. So, so thanks for listening, and here we go. Welcome Amy and Brooks. I'm so excited to have you guys here. Welcome both to the podcast and to my apartment. Thanks. <laughs> thank you.
1: It's a great apartment.
0: It's bright. Yeah, thank it's you. Gorgeous. I just got transferred up here recently because my old apartment flooded. And I actually just unpacked oh. like the last couple of days. Oh. Oh. I just hung my Kirk and Spock back up. But I feel like I did it wrong. I feel like they should both be on this wall. I don't know, what do you think?
2: Maybe. I don't know. Kirk's,
3: like Kirk's looking very sideways. He might be he'd be staring in the corner. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> He's looking yeah. like above me. Yeah. He's looking over here. Yeah. He's looking towards the future. He gazes down on you while you sleep, yeah. which is, is <laughs> important. <laughs> <laughs> and Spock is just like eyes like right on mm-hmm. you all the time. Uh, so we're going to talk about the
0: the new Star Trek exhibit coming to the EMP. But before we get there, let's let's learn about
3: you guys. Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Amy. Oh. <laughs> 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 see,
0: I was like, uh, see, tell us who you are, what yeah. you do, and your favorite Star Trek series and episode.
1: Um okay. Uh so my name is Amy, and uh my day job is social media producer at EMP Museum, which is super amazing, and I'm very lucky to have it. Um, and then I also do things like write about film and music for threeimaginarygirls.com.
4: girls dot com. Oh, cool. I didn't know that.
1: Um and I also have a horror movie blog called I Love Splatter dot com. And I just love all things uh pop culture, uh, and including Star Trek. And Star Trek The Next Generation is my favorite series because that is the one that started when I was in high school. Um,
2: like- <laughs> so <laughs>
1: so uh, definitely very into it. Um, I had seen original series episodes, uh, a few. My parents, not really big Star Trek fans, but I had seen a few. Um, but I was like all about Picard, all about Tasha Yar, yeah, all about Worf. Not all about Riker.
0: <laughs> Is he too, uh, too Uncle Riker for you? <laughs>
1: He's too <laughs> creepy, Uncle Riker. Marmy. <laughs> yeah, I don't dig on Riker, but I love Bev- I love everybody else. I love Beverly. I love Data. I love Wesley. You
3: really love Tasha Yar. She I talks love- about Tasha Yar every day. Do
1: you talk about Tasha Yar? She's every day. such a badass. Um. Yeah. Like, and I just, of course, it's such a bummer that she was only. Just on it for a short time, but
3: yeah it but was look just, at the impact
0: it was, um, I know, yeah. you know one it's year. amazing uh, so massive spoiler alert for Star Trek the Next Generation if you haven't seen this by now what are you yeah. doing but yeah Tashiar gets killed off in the most like blase fashion terrible it's one of my way. favorite moments of all of Star Trek I know that sounds awful but yeah. it's the only time where something important just happened in like a trivial way and it makes it grounds everything. Like it makes all of Star Trek feel it more is. real to me. I mean,
1: it's you know before the days of Joss Whedon and George R. R. Martin just killing people <laughs>
0: willy <left and> nilly. <laughs> right.
1: uh, it was That's a, a shocking point. moment, you yeah. know, to have this main character killed off.
3: And of course, um, in Star Trek, you're like, no, not really, yeah, right? You would right.
0: really expect her to come back on, totally, you know? yeah. And
3: then they're like, done.
2: Yeah, and
0: that's it. And then you have that horrible like goodbye scene at the end, which still makes me cry every time. I'm I'm getting teary eyed just thinking about it. Mm. It's it's amazing, and I I love Denise Crosby in that role. She's so incredible. She's such like a a badass. I mean, she just she is the embodiment of the idea that you know men and women are past this whole gender inequality issue Mm. in the future.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's just exciting that she was a security officer and she's on the bridge and, you know, um, I don't know. There's so many great things about it. And I just also am a huge fan of Denise Crosby in general. So mom on pet in Pet Cemetery, which is a movie that is very beloved to me and just seeing her recently the walking dead and um also on ray donovan like
0: and scandal so
1: great i do not watch scandal but, uh, um, that's
0: probably good but she's i am amazing, a, a little obsessed with scandal <laughs> i can't stop watching it it's not i know it's not good but that the new episode was astonishingly amazing <laughs> i was watching i was like how is scandal making a perfect dollar of television this is incredible. yeah but yeah but denise crosby was on it within the last year or two and i was so excited I was like my worlds are colliding <laughs>
1: yeah she's she's great
0: so how long have you been working at the emp
1: uh, about two and a half years, um, and then oh, and then also I think uh, I don't know if I can pick a favorite Star Trek episode, but Best of Both Worlds with the whole Borg Locutus situation is like amazing.
0: Are you thinking part <clears throat> one and two, or is there a
4: particular? part? I think
1: they come together, to like come together. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's just it's just that moment. That's another moment where they, you know, Picard is assimilated, where you're like. Wait, how? How, how yeah. did this? How did they do this? <laughs> they took the captain, like.
3: And, and at the this time happening? that was the big cliffhanger, you know, mm-hmm. for the whole summer, for the right? Whole summer. And Riker's like yeah. fire, and you're like ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you spent the entire summer going ah, uh, right? Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. I, I very love. Worried. It's like the I don't know. I love the fact that at one point in time, Star Trek: The Next Generation was like lost. It was the event show on TV mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. everyone was watching and yeah. everyone was talking about. And that's just so cool. It's about to happen again, too, I'm sure, with this new Star Trek series. Everyone's oh, going to be talking um, about it. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm very excited about that, also.
0: Yeah. So Awesome. So, well, and you're wearing the most incredible uh, red shirt sweater.
1: Picardigan pe- kind of thing <laughs> happening. <laughs> it's not the official Picardigan, but it is a Picardigan.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. It yeah. is a
0: cardigan with the red shirt. Yes. From yeah. TNG on it and <laughs> an embroidered communicator pin a communicator. Pretty wonderful. Thank you. I uh, like it. I didn't wear a Star Trek shirt, and I should have. <gasps> oh I don't gosh. know what I was doing. But you have your art. So yeah, have your covered. art. Yeah, and I've got my I'm the one not and tat-
1: Yeah, you have a tattoo, so you kind of yeah. trump everything. I'm
0: always decked out. <laughs> I went. I just went to that uh, the Star Trek Symphony thing, and mm-hmm. there was people in uniform, and I was like, oh my god, I missed my opportunity uh-huh. to go to an event in uniform. Right. Um, but and I was wearing long sleeves. I'm like, no, I can even see my tattoo. This is the worst. I need a communicator oh, yeah. pin on my face, just so it's always there.
1: Have you described your tattoo for your podcast listeners? Before? I have, but I, okay. I'm
0: happy to talk I about feel it like again. You should talk about it. Uh, uh, do you know? Do you know what it is? Can you tell? Most people can't. I. This is not a pop quiz. This is. I'm just not curious. that
1: deep into the knowledge of of Star Trek, but I bet Brooks is knows. it Klingon
0: script. It is Klingon. Yeah. yeah. It says uh, it says thirty in Klingon, mm. and Klingon, and I got it on my thirtieth cool. birthday.
1: That's perfect. Yes. That's
0: great. Nice. Yeah. I wanted... I, I knew... I had the idea of doing Klingon in 30. mm mm-hmm. uh, But I went and looked at the scripts, and there's actually two of them. There's, like, the the one that they use when they're actually writing Klingon. So if they actually want it to mean something, they have this specific script for that. Yeah. But the original script looks way cooler. And it it was just, like, numbers and letters. It wasn't actually used to spell anything out. They just made numbers and letters, and that's what I used for the, for the 30 because it's just so much cooler. And it yeah. looks like... It looks like JP, which is my my real oh, name, yeah. Jesse Plack. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's very cool.
0: Yeah. Which doesn't sound spacey enough, so I had to become <laughs> Jesse Mercury.
3: <laughs> so, Brooks, tell us about yourself. My name is Brooks, Brooks Peck. I am a curator at EMP Museum. I've been there 12 years now. Wow. 12 years this Isn't May. is that it?
0: Hasn't it only been open around 12 years? Uh, it's
3: been open 16 years this summer. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I was, I was not quite in on the ground floor, but in on the first floor. Yeah. I joined in 2004- Right when we first added the what was called the science fiction museum, oh, at the time. And I that, loved that.
0: That's part of why I moved to Seattle because I saw that. And really? I was like, there's a like music museum and science fiction museum, like, this is my place to be totally.
3: <laughs> totally. And that was when we took when the museum took its like very first steps away from just, just being about rock and roll and, and getting into pop culture. And oh, that's wow. that was what I did. I previously had uh, founded a website called Science Fiction Weekly which became part of the Sci-Fi Channel's sort of web yeah. empire. And um, so I knew a lot about that stuff, I guess. And that's why they hired me. No
0: way. Was it,
3: was it a plan to make the Sci-Fi Museum before you were hired? Yes, yes. Okay. I came on uh, about a month before opening. Wow. So, so they had pulled it all together, and then they were looking for, for people who knew the content and things like that. Wow so That's so cool. Talk about dream job. You guys both have a dream completely, job. Completely, completely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: I just want to. I want to nerd for a living. That's like my goal in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But although I mean, the podcasting is going well. I now have, I got a new patron last night. I'm up to like ten bucks a month. Hey, I'm <laughs> I'm like on my way to self sufficiency. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um. So let's talk a little bit about the EMP in general, because there's a lot of people that'll listen to this that. Do not live in Seattle, might sure. not even know what the EMP is. Mm-hmm. I remember being a kid uh, back in San Diego reading Rolling Stone magazine and there was this picture of this new rock and roll museum that was going up in Seattle and I was like, what is that?
3: So the museum, I mean when you probably the reason you said what is that is because the architecture is is yeah. really outrageous. It's a Frank Gehry design building and yeah. it's got all these sort of I call them the blobs. I don't think that that <laughs> they're <laughs> That's technically called the blobs, the blobs. <laughs> they're called they're called the elements. <laughs> They're these different colored elements, uh-huh. uh, yeah. very brightly colored. And Geary does not normally work in bright colors.
1: No, and, and I mean it looks amazing, and it cha- it kind of changes color depending on what side of the building you're on to, and totally. different kinds of light. And totally. uh, as my dad pointed out when he walked up to the side of the building and tapped on it it's aluminium
2: <laughs> aluminium yes yes
1: yeah. uh, my dad's an engineer so he was very like wanted to go right up to the building and on a spaceship tap on it on like a, no just it's just yeah. here on earth <laughs> someday someday that'll be a
2: question <laughs> that yeah, people right. will be able to answer yes and it'll be yeah.
1: awesome yeah yeah no i mean i i was i i'm born and raised in seattle so i was here when emp was you know opened was built and opened and yeah. so I was a charter member. I still have my little disk with a little piece of the building embedded oh, in it. Oh, cool. right on. That's um, awesome. Um and yeah, so like I remember going and checking out, you know, the Northwest Passage Passage, hi, passage <laughs> exhibit which was all um sort of like the history of of rock in Seattle and wow. that was super fun to take my mom through cuz my mom is also from here and She was like, oh, I dated a guy in that band and I dated a guy (laughs) in that band. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. And um, and it's just fun to see, like, the history of of bands. And my mom and dad actually met because my dad was in a band called George Washington and the Cherry Bombs.
4: That so, is a great <laughs> band that's name. Awesome. You. That's, yeah. amazing. that's awesome. <laughs>
1: he played the sax.
0: I love that. So
1: yeah. yeah. They weren't in band. the exhibit, sadly. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was, it was just really cool to go. And, you know, I was really into the Posies, obviously. Uh, my Twitter handle is Posy Girl. So I, I've been a Posies, <laughs> a time. Posies fan forever. And so they were in there and just, you know, seeing all the bands like Green River and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that kind of stuff was great. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, and then later out of the Sci-Fi Museum, which was cool. But, you know, I didn't, I'm not the kind of, I didn't go like every year or anything like that. I definitely was like, oh, this is cool. I'm glad we have it here. This is awesome. But. Well, and for
3: a while after opening, exhibits didn't turn over mm -hmm, that often. mm -hmm. There were basically some standing exhibits. I mean, uh, the museum would. Would redo Hendrix every few years, things yeah. like that. I mean, I mean, the core original inspiration yeah. for the museum was to create a Jimi Hendrix museum. Hmm. But even before it opened, the founders decided, no, let's let's broaden this mandate. Let's make it about pop music. Mm-hmm. But there's always that core core of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, the I Jimi think- Hendrix Museum is amazing, and I I've been
0: a lot over the years, over the like five and a half years I've been in Seattle, and I almost always go to the Jimi Hendrix Museum. Just I mean, Jimi Hendrix is like the the Seattle pride, yeah. you know, like yes, he was born absolutely. here. A lot of people don't even know that. Mm-hmm, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. I, You know, I live like two blocks away from a statue out in front of Blick of right. Jimmy right. Hendrix. Right. And it's it's really cool to see his, uh, his legacy kind of laid out that way. Like I never knew that he purposefully broke his ankle to get out of the military to go play music. Like he was a, wasn't he a, I remember reading this at the museum. He was like a paratrooper and he jumped wrong so that he'd break his ankle so that he could get discharged.
3: I don't know that... He necessarily did it intentionally. It's, oh, really? It's hard to say. And of course, with Hendrix, uh, he stories would evolve and change over totally. the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting because as a teenager, he really, really wanted to be a paratrooper. He wanted to be in the in the was it the one hundred first? I think. Um, Hendrix, as you say, a lot of people don't know he's from here, and and it's it's a sign of how how crazy his career and his stardom got that when he left. To just start gigging around the country and stuff. He didn't come back for five and a half years. Yeah. Didn't just didn't come home because he was so, so busy traveling and things like that.
0: Yeah. And if you'd asked me where he was from before, my first thought would have, which I know this is dumb, but it would have been London because he's so kind of associated with like the mm-hmm. London fashion yeah. scene and he yeah. spent some time over there. But then I would think for a second longer and be like, wait, no, he does not have an accent. And then I would be, well, he must be, I don't know where he's from. Like, yeah. East Coast? I don't know. Like, I would have had <laughs> no idea. But when I moved here, it was a shock to me that who's from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's pretty cool. So yeah. many cool things come out of Seattle. I, I didn't even know that the Science Fiction Museum existed. Because all I'd heard about in San Diego of the EMP was when it opened, like this new amazing rock mm-hmm. and roll museum. Yeah. And people used to – they would kind of guess what it was built to look like. And oh, the yeah. prevailing uh. theory that I heard was that it was – I know this isn't true, but it was supposed to be like uh, two guitars that were being smashed together and exploding. Which is kind of neat. I think that's because of the monorail
3: coming out of it that people think that. I can also, there's another reason that story got started, Mm -hmm. which is that Gary, who didn't know anything about popular music at all, he's a classical music guy, Uh uh, when he was um, hired to make this building, a thing he did was he went to a guitar repair shop and picked up a bunch of broken guitar pieces and used those, sort of laid them out and just, mush them around and move them around to inspire himself to find some shapes. Oh, interesting. But he wasn't thinking, I'm going to make this like a guitar. Right. He was just kind of looking for, what are these, what are these curves? What are these, what are these shapes? What's happening here? And how can I embody popular music in the shape of the building? Wow, that's so cool! I think that's a way better theory, though, about the smash guitars than mm-hmm. uh, another one which I've heard, which is it's supposed to look like an inner ear. <laughs> oh, and, I and I'm like gross. <laughs> I, that, yeah, that means that I work inside speedy. an ear every that day. Just <laughs>
0: uh, evokes a smell that's unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. I also heard that it's supposed to look like uh, like sound waves crashing together. Have you heard that one?
1: Yeah, I think I think the one that they say on the most of the tours is the smash guitar thing. But yeah, I have heard that one.
3: We're mostly because the the. The ride the ducks folks are right near us, mm-hmm. and, right. and they come in our turnaround, and we can always hear what what they, they say. say, which is kind of a good indicator of what the current folklore is about <laughs> yeah. the museum. And then we hear it, and we have to call them up and be like, like "Yeah, that's not Don't true." Call it oh wow,
1: this and yeah. So it yeah. sounds like
0: maybe he was just trying to evoke a sense of musicality through architecture, and and maybe like a non-specific way.
3: Absolutely, for sure, yeah.
0: Yeah. and it, it absolutely succeeds. Like I, the building is incredible. My first day in Seattle, uh, I was going on a road trip trying to pick a place to move. And we parked downtown, uh, my my ex, Svetlana, and I, who moved here together. And then mm-hmm. we took the monorail uh, to the Seattle Center. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, passing these two buildings, like these apartment buildings. I'm like, wow, those are cool. I'd love to live here someday. And then coming around the corner, and I'm like, oh, my God, what are we driving into? Because the monorail goes right inside right through, yeah. of the museum. Uh, and it's just an incredible place. Like we got off the, the monorail, and just wandered around the Seattle center. I'm like, this is the coolest city I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> you know, and then I actually ended up living in that, one of those buildings. I didn't even realize this until later that I saw off the monorail. I ended up living there. Oh, oh, so it on your later, brain. Yeah. And it was an accident. Like we rented somewhere else and then it fell through and we were in a rush and I found this other place that had a, um, like two weeks free or something moved in. I'm like, wait a second. This is the building I saw off the monorail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then for the first like couple years, I lived in Seattle. Every time the monorail would go by, I'd be like, monorail. <laughs> yeah, and then I would also say that the uh, Seattle Center and the Space Needle was Deep Space Nine was like the promenade, and then the rest of the city which was kinda, like, you know, all that's these hilarious. like people coming oh, in I and love out. Love it. Yeah, yeah.
3: A, a Seattle as seen through a Star Trek lens. We yeah. Can yeah, do all kinds of things.
0: Like that. Totally. Yeah. My friend and I would play this game where we'd sit in a Starbucks and look out and try to determine which alien species different people were. Oh, <laughs> right. oh my god, awesome. let's do that for each other right now. <laughs> um brooks you're totally you're an andorian oh which is high praise i yeah, like that that's like my that favorite species yeah especially yeah. how
3: they really uh flesh them out in enterprise totally
2: as I the love sort enterprise. of
3: antithesis to the vulcans they're great totally yeah um i gotta go uh betazoid i think
1: oh uh, yeah i take that yeah. i'll take it
3: what do you think <laughs> Interesting.
1: what do you think brooks? You? well you of course
3: agree? the on leans toward the Klingon script in your arm leans toward Klingon, but you're very cheerful uh, (laughs) for a Klingon. I'm a cheer. I mean, I could be a cheerful Klingon. I'm always curious about the Bolians. I love the the bullions. Can I be a bullion? Sure. Yeah. I'm really into that. They're a little little beardy for a bullion. Yeah. But I love the the irony that that (laughs) that, um the hairless bullion was the barber. I know. Beardy
0: (laughs) bullion. Beardy
1: bullion.
3: Mr. Mott is one of the most wonderful additions to next generation. Yeah. And then when 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 Picard has another one of his uh, Home Alone episodes, (laughs) And there's are those oh, yeah, people taking saddle? over the ship yes. with the saddle on there. Like, who are you? And he's like, Yeah. I'm Mr. Mott, the barber. And I like, yeah, Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. That's in my top 10. In Starship Mine, what is that? Season six? I think yeah, it's pretty late. Yeah. Five or six? Yeah, that episode's incredible. Just uh, any episode where we get to see the captain kind of being a badass and running around the ship, like in Voyager yeah. when Janeway's fighting those bugs and she
3: like, yes. looks like Ripley yes. from Alien. She's right. so in dirty and, yeah. and ripped. Uh, that episode's incredible.
0: I guess so, it's more of
3: a of a die hard episode for him than a than a Home Alone.
0: But, yeah, but it's yes. a die hard Home Alone. Die home, home, home die hard Alone. Die al- hard or die
3: alone. Die alone. alone. <laughs> <laughs> die alone. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Die oh, alone.
4: No. Yeah, I
2: didn't get to say. No. I didn't get to say what my favorite season.
3: I was, was just okay. gonna ask. Wait, yeah, thank, I thank, totally uh, forgot. We got to do so, that. So, so I'm a Voyager man. Actually. Are you? I'm I'm really really into Voyager. I just just got through a rewatch. Jane so.
1: Way. Jane, Jane is
3: so It's good. good. She's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. they never allowed her to become like the shrill female executive or uh soft and always needing help from the men. She was she was so nuanced. She had all these different sides of her. Yeah. And she could be incredibly compassionate when she could afford to.
2: Mm-hmm. And when
3: she couldn't, and lies are on the line, she just became a hard ass. Yeah. And um she was great. And then in terms of episodes, I mean, of course all that Star Trek out there, you know, you can only say a, a favorite, but one favorite for, of mine for sure is Tuvix. Tuvix. When Newix and uh, Tuvok get merged into one being. Yeah. Oh, that, that one kills me because in the end, Tuvix is is, is begging them yeah. to keep his life. And they Ugh. just like turn their backs on him. That one,
0: like, it kind of makes, that one is hard to it's watch. hard. That one makes it's my skin crawl a little bit. It's yeah. just like, oh my God, what all, like, The writers just put them in the worst situation possible. It's like, you are Starfleet officers. This is against every grain in your being, but like, you kind of have to kill this person to get these other two people back. And Mm. I mean, that's a a near impossible choice, which I mean, from a viewer's point of view, of course, they're going to make the choice that brings back the two regular actors. Sure. Uh, But from, you know, you have to like really, you have to suspend your disbelief and put yourself in the character's shoes and say, what would you do in that situation? And I, you know, a lot of, I mean, good sci-fi always does that yeah. where you have to really yeah. like, it's, it's a way to, to look at something that you'd never have to look at and say, what would I do? You know, like, what would I do in that situation? If two of my friends were merged like this oh and God. begged me not to separate them, what would you do? Yeah. yeah. That's tough. yeah. It's way too hard. Yeah. My, I, so I love all Star Trek. I've like mm-hmm. seen it all. Next Generation, absolutely my favorite for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and Voyager, I struggle with Voyager sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've seen it all, and the first three seasons, I adore. Mm. Um, I feel like the show needed to devolve into more chaos than it did, like yeah. Battlestar style. I, I really, I can never get
3: over the fact that they didn't make it harder to survive away from the Federation. No, I totally agree. It it always stayed comfortable and hotel-like on the ship, and <laughs> I would have loved to have seen an evolution. I mean, back then, people were still not doing too much TV that was... Things really changed a lot over the course of, yeah. of a season, like mm-hmm. like we see now. But yeah. but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wanted to see that ship um, constantly altering and getting upgraded with new technology and the actual shape of it changing, yeah. things like that. And of course, you know, they all wear the same uniforms and, and this and that. And yeah, make it hard. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm i not um, super wild about Tom Paris and B'Elanna together. I just never bought it. I don't know mm. why. I think oh. because they were the two most dysfunctional people on the ship. <laughs> yeah, seeing and them so they function found each is other, yeah. Yeah, weird.
0: Yeah, um, but I, the Doctor is one of my absolute favorite characters of any Star Trek.
2: Hmm. Like
0: you know, the episodes with Sarah Silverman were exceptional. Amazing. One of my absolute favorite episodes, hands down, is when the buddy comedy with the Doctor and the uh, EMH Mark. yeah three. I think. Yes. Mark two and Mark three, right? Is that the two, or is it Mark one and Mark two? I think it's Mark 2 and Mark
3: Doc, 3. is Mark 1, isn't he? Wasn't there a doctor
0: before the doctor? Wasn't he Mark 2? I don't remember now. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Nerd fail. <laughs> 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 but either way, it doesn't matter. So you have the two the two EMHs. It totally matters to me now. I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, you have the two EMHs who are having this like buddy comedy together. And it's, uh, what's his name? Um, i blanking. From news radio. Blonde guy. Why can't I remember his name? It's We're cool. just going to leave you hanging. Ugh. Oh. That's gonna drive me crazy. The also. kids in
1: the hall guy or the No,
0: the no. uh the goofy dude.
1: Oh god. You
0: know who I'm talking about?
1: Yeah.
3: He played Matthew.
1: I watched news radio all the time. And but I of course news radio. I can't think
2: of oh, that's a cool. name. Well, he
3: was a great EMH. Yeah. Yeah. And and what was funny is he was constantly talking about, Oh, I'm I'm so much more superior, but he had all the same neuroses and insecurities that the doctor has. I mean yeah. they were yeah. they were birds of a feather. If this, not more. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is the point in the podcast where people listening are like yelling. Mm.
3: At I know, right? It's... I'm totally. Yeah. I'm gonna look it up, and I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna make, cut it, cut an edit any, right any here, emails. and then I'm gonna right. say his name, Andy
3: Dick.
2: Yeah. And
0: then I'm gonna cut back cut to the back. episode. Yeah.
3: Speaking... In like a really robotic
1: voice.
2: Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: totally. And speaking of, we actually didn't finish talking about EMP. Like we started yeah. talking about EMP as it was Star Trek prevails, and then yes. Star Trek Star Trek will as prevail. It, prevail. it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing—the thing that brought me back to EMP actually was sort of related my Three Girls dot com stuff was um, going as a press member for these new exhibits. Oh, cool! And the one of them was the Fantasy exhibit, which yeah. is still when i walk in there still having worked there two and a half years i walk into that exhibit and my mind is blown
0: it's amazing yeah gorgeous it's
1: just like you're you you literally walk through that door into another world yeah as you do with infinite worlds of science fiction and as you do with can't look away and and really anything indie game revolution i just feel like every time we have a new exhibit every time a new exhibit opens it's you're able to really immerse yourself in that world. Yeah. Um. In addition to to just like, you know, just fangirling over you know <laughs> the Princess Bride mm. costumes and the Highlander sword and yes. you know just just everything. Um. Can't look away. Obviously is you know has a piece of my heart just because horror film is like my favorite. Awesome. Um. So just seeing that you know seeing the the axe from The Shining and.
3: And poor Gizmo. Oh, uh, Gizmo. A, a, recent, a recent addition. Man, we have I, a Gizmo. The Gremlin? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I haven't yeah, seen that yet. Yeah. Oh, that that's is so but cool. But it's a particular one from the scene where he is supposed to look sort of shocked.
1: He's. Um, <sighs> it's from the scene at the end where he leaps out of the car and grabs the... Uh, the curtain rod to pull Uh the, pull the sunlight open. Right. So to prevail. And so his (laughs) mouth is (laughs) is open and he's like lying flat on his back because, uh, so we've had a lot of really funny, um, I've seen a lot of really funny pictures pop up on social media. Cause in the case, it kind of looks like (laughs) he's died.
3: I'm
2: sorry. My
1: favorite, my favorite one was just a couple weeks ago. Um, Someone on on Twitter posted like a picture of the critter because we have a, we have a critter a crit from critters in oh the, cool critters I, i've never seen three, Critters. three i think oh my god critters is so great <laughs> i'm just like what is this uh, gremlins and i didn't yeah watch it. <laughs> it's kind of, i mean it's it was you know after gremlins they did yeah. ghoulies and critters and they yeah. kind of all spawn these things right. but, but
3: critters are easier to deal with because they, so, no so, <laughs> they have no limbs they have no limbs so that pas could just throw them from off yeah off the they just
1: have like little useless little arms <laughs> yeah. um oh, I but th- to see somebody that. posted a picture of this the the crit the critter uh I know you can call it one or the other, and next to the gizmo, and they said, "Oh, hi, little guy! Did you bring me a present?" You know, as <laughs> if the critter had drugged the gizmo in, oh. and then they were like, "Oh, oh no, oh that's terrible!" Oh. I just thought that was like a funny little awesome. thing, but um,
4: yeah,
0: the current yeah the current line of up exib- Ooh, did I not turn my phone off?
1: Oh my times?
0: gosh! Wow. Podcast oh. fail. Oh, Lindsay's wow. calling. I'm sorry, Lindsay. I'm back later. <laughs> sorry, Lindsay.
3: <laughs>
1: sorry, Lindsay. Yeah, hey,
0: I'm so I'm so tempted to.
1: He's not ignoring you. I'm
0: so tempted to Answer make her say something air. on the podcast. Right. Do, but it. I'm not do gonna, it. Do it. I feel, I would favorite, like, favorite series and episode now. Yeah. <laughs> Go. I've, I've learned recently that um, I, I'm like so comfortable recording everything that I say. I've learned that other people are not that way. You know, and I, it's not nice to surprise people. I, I've had yeah. this uh, bizarre experience where a lot of people that come on the show don't listen to the show. Oh. Um, and they're actually scared of listening to the show. Oh, no. But then they'll come back repeated times, which is great because they're awesome. Like right, my, right. my friend Pete has done four episodes now, like two two-parters. And he was on my Syphon trial for The Phantom Menace as well. Yeah, ah. And he just told me that he listened to the show for the first time like a week ago. He's like, I went from being horrified to listen to myself talk to only wanting to hear myself talk. <laughs> I, was so, I was so excited about that.
1: I always, uh, when, if I do a podcast and then I listen to it later, I'm always like, oh, why do I sound like that? Oh, really? Yeah. It
3: takes a while to get used to the sound of your own voice recording. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, there's this weird disconnect which I've finally gotten used to. But sometimes I'll do a, a a TV news spot, and I can't cannot watch those. Just huh. can't see myself because I'm always mm-hmm. like, "What is he doing with his hands? <laughs> yep, he doesn't know what to do with his hands, and now they're just kind of flying around." Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. the best thing
1: about the podcast is that nobody can that's see us, right. but the
0: host.
3: So no <laughs> one can see what what weird shit you're doing with your hands right now. <laughs> um, what TV news stuff were you on? Well, when we when we open new exhibits, sometimes, especially in a gallery like um, when we did Avatar, we did mm. we did Avatar the exhibition years ago. I was there; I loved it. And so, so we create these really scenic environments, like Amy's been describing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the morning, the morning news will like to do all their bumps over the course of the couple hours uh-huh. from there. So they'll they'll cut to the person there, and then they'll be cool. like live and and. Um, Man, live TV is one of the scariest things. Yeah. And, I love that. And they always want to like walk around the gallery and like, sure, <laughs> we're gonna walk around the gallery. And some camera operators struggling, and once one of them um, just walked right into me. And uh, <laughs> on live TV. On live TV. Oh, and, no way. You know, everything it's everything awesome. bounces. But
2: <laughs> that's scary.
3: Yeah. I've never done that. It's a thing. Yeah. It's definitely a thing. And if, and also what's amazing about those hosts is is not just that they can it, create all this amazing enthusiasm. You know, there are these, these perky excited TV people, but they're doing it at five in the morning. Ugh, yeah. You know, and I've just I rolled do out of bed. And I'm
0: anything like, ah. at five in the morning <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: besides try to go back to sleep. Cause my dog accidentally woke me up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Man. So I, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about the exhibits that, um, that have been over there over the last couple of years. Cause there's been some incredible stuff. I just want to give you guys props for the amazing work you're doing. Cause That's kind of you. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, like I said, it was a big part of why I wanted to move to Seattle. I saw that the EMP had a science fiction museum inside, and I was just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So <laughs> I I went in. I, 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 lo- I like the music stuff a lot. You know, I'm a musician. I mm-hmm. I was obsessed with Rolling Stone as a kid. But science fiction is like my heart and soul, you know? So I went downstairs to the original science fiction museum, which I think I saw the original one. Well, I don't know, actually. I mean, I have no idea what I'm talking when, about. It, when it was, was this? It was like five or six years ago.
3: I was um, By then, things... So, the Science Fiction Museum, uh, piece by piece, evolved. Okay. And we started to... Kind of, we worked in the lower back and started to change those galleries and then move that forward. Uh-huh. And that said, five years ago, we hadn't done fantasy yet, so probably yeah. you saw the upstairs part as well. Well, I remember there was a Science Fiction Museum and then it closed.
0: Uh, and then avatar came in after that mm. right and right. and Battlestar galactica mm,
2: uh, yeah. but
0: i remember being just devastated when that sci-fi museum closed because there was like the general sci-fi museum Yes. and what you have now is um like a lot of that is back right a lot of the
3: very same much so. stuff yeah, yeah. and i rules. was
0: overjoyed when it came back uh, i was so happy because uh, to me like having a permanent science fiction museum of just all of it you know everything that's amazing about sci-fi in one room that's so exciting! I love, I love the specified stuff. I love the the exhibits for like Avatar or Battlestar mm-hmm. or Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, or now up, upcoming Star Trek, which is you know the main thing. We're that I'm I'm so excited to ask you guys about because I have no idea what's coming, but uh, but that just that original museum, I just captured my imagination so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know the one that's there now absolutely does the same thing for sure. Um, but it's you got stuff like from all science fiction and it was there was books there was like a wall of fame like sci-fi writers were getting their due Mm -hmm. uh like you had copies of books like uh you know old copies of books and like this great thing you could read everything about it like this is ray bradbury this is the kind of stuff that he wrote and then like you know the books would be there so you could see the cover art and Mm -hmm. it was just so cool it was like a kid who just grew up on that stuff it was just like so much to bite into you had i think uh there's some massive Star Trek props and costumes and stuff. I think yes. it was... Maybe it was Data's costume? I don't remember. There was something back in the day that I was super... Oh, was it
3: Jordy's visor? We've had we've had both those things on display in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Then, I love I Data's mean, costume.
0: Either of those things would, you know, give me the the nerd chills. I don't know what that means. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's, a, there's a drug that you can get for that. Yeah. clear yeah. that right up. Uh, we've also displayed, I mean, talking about Star Trek, here and there, this and that, things like... Um, a head appliance that Patrick Stewart wore as oh, Lipshutas yeah. yeah. and, and his arm and things like that. But for the new Star Trek exhibit, it's all coming out. Everything's coming oh, out. Oh my god. I yeah. can't wait.
1: I Can I say the thing that I'm yes. most excited about yes, yes. in
4: the exhibit?
3: I want to know what this is.
1: Khan's costume.
3: from No way! Khan. You have Khan's costume? <laughs> uh, oh. we, we have, have two, two Khan, Khan, Khan costumes. costumes. Wow. Cumber, we called-
1: Cumberbatch and Oh, what? Yes. What are we calling them? We
3: call them uh, Montalcon and Cumbercon. Montalcon and
1: <laughs> uh, Yeah. That's no. what I'm going
3: to name the episode for sure. <laughs> I'm Montalcon su- and Cumbercon. I'm
1: super excited for both, but definitely, definitely very excited for Montalcon. It's
2: sweet. Um, yeah.
1: Just because that costume is amazing. Yeah. There's no uh, comparison between I- those costumes. I'm slightly worried that people are like crazed Cumberbatch fans are going to try to like break open the case <laughs> for the for, <laughs> for the cumble Khan costume yeah. and Whoa. take it just that'll probably he definitely was be the,
3: the case we need to clean the most often oh, yeah. <laughs> there's just like lipstick all over it yeah. all the time yeah.
1: yeah i'm already predicting that the the uh mantle costume will be the most selfied costume yeah. so like in star wars the most selfied was darth vader yeah. and uh chewbacca those yeah. are like the two that's awesome yeah
0: the way the Star Wars one was set up was so cool, how you go through the whole thing and you walk in the back room and there's yeah. Darth Vader mm-hmm. on a pedestal.
1: Like, literally every selfie, people yeah. are choking. Like, he's, yeah, I'm pretty know. sure I have one I of those,
2: actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I tried. It didn't really work, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then, of course, the Leia slave costume coming in at third for the most yeah. Photographs in, in
3: the Darth Vader room, one thing I loved um, is that we had a security camera up in the back corner behind him. Oh, yeah. So the view from that camera <laughs> down in the security booth is like, Right over his shoulder with his hand reaching out toward the visitors. It was a really great.
2: Yeah, shot. It was really well set up. Because
3: the, the Star Wars
0: exhibit, the first floor of it was all like prequel stuff, except mm-hmm. for a couple of exceptions. I think Leia was downstairs. Yeah. Like and of Han course, Leia. R2D2 and Obi yeah. Wan. Yeah.
1: Which I was super psyched about. It was
0: so cool to see like all these elaborate costumes and then these like r- looked like rags almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were so perfect i mean and it really was like a lesson in simplicity you look at leia's costume and there's almost nothing happening so iconic Mm -hmm. so perfect Mm -hmm. like not not a thread you would change you know versus these costumes that were like incredibly intricate for the senators from nubu and stuff like that um and I mean, those are great too, but it's like you don't need that. Like you can have just like a white sheet right. with a belt and it and make the biggest movie of all time. It's so, so cool.
1: It'll be interesting to see that same kind of evolution in the Star Trek exhibit because we totally. have costumes from every, am I right? Every, every single. Every single Well, oh, in some ways, series? I think it's going to go so
3: in exciting. reverse <laughs> because we have a number of those classic William Ware Tice, mm-hmm. um, gauzy, elaborate, intricate 60s outfits mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Amanda spock's mom uh-huh. played by um jane wyatt oh yeah one of her outfits things like that and then things get a little more streamlined and and simplistic yeah uh the further along we get and and in later series uh what what was sexy just became like cat suits and things mm-hmm. like on seven of nine <laughs> pajamas. Or, right. or, or or to paul <laughs> right yeah
1: the star trek pajamas
3: how do you feel about that I, it's so it's an interesting
0: development in star trek and it, it happens very specifically in season four of voyager where uh I feel like I mean, sure you have like Troy wearing like a cat suit, but you have the men wearing cat suits, too, so I'm totally fine with that uh like the the scant from season one <laughs> yeah. and two uh I remember watching u p n as a kid, and on season four of Voyager, they just made this huge deal of the fact that like uh and now a new sexy woman's coming on the show, like they really, really advertised that mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't necessarily the fact that the show was doing it any more than before, it was the fact that u p n was like. This is what we're doing now, you know, like all Star Trek. It it felt to me like they were trying to say, Yeah, Star Trek is still sexy, Mm -hmm. uh, and really advertising it that way. And something about it just like really bothered me. I don't know why. Well, I mean, I do know why, but it's something that I had a hard time separating myself out from the show when I watched the show, which is really a shame because Seven of Nine is an incredible character. She's a very complex character, yeah, she has great depth, very well acted, very intelligent, like strong woman dealing with a lot of like complex emotional issues. And right. like like the core of what Star Trek is about, you know, all embodied in this one character. She became like the Spock of that show. Yes, and I felt like they did her this huge disservice with the way that they advertised her.
1: But that's also indicative of the time too. That's true. You know? Yeah. Like what it, it, you can especially see this in Next Gen, first and second season, where they're really experimenting with how the women on the show look. Yeah. So like I think this is another reason that Tasha Yar stands out a little bit. Um, except for the the naked now episode but uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh where she's always in this you know the crew uniform but if you look at deanna her hair's different in literally every episode In su- in the first episode she's wearing a very short skirt no, like a
0: headband um, and her hair is like whoop, yeah like poofy. No. and it's or all
1: her head hair's all out and then in, the, in later episodes she's got the pantsuit on and but it's still skin tight but then her hair is like in this weird elaborate like tube-like bun thing.
3: And yeah, there's like that super tight button-down look she'd get where yeah. she, where she think... was much more, I think, alien-seeming and, right. and, forgive the use of this word, exotic. They were yeah. trying to
1: make her more Betazoid-like, I mm-hmm. think, with those hairdos and stuff. But it's interesting to sort of look at that, you know, because obviously the men's costumes never change. Yeah, really. Besides getting a
0: little looser so that, you know, (laughs) Frakes could grow and Stuart could stop hurting his back.
1: Yeah. Also, like when I look at the original series, I always it always looks to me like half those dudes are wearing girdles. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's just like that's the way that they held themselves or
0: it's got to be girdle. Like I, I, I think I think about that a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but then, I, mean, I don't know, sometimes, like, Kirk will take his shirt off, and mm-hmm. I don't know, he still kind of stands that way. Yeah. I think they're all just sucking the in their s- guts all the, yeah, all the time.
4: Maybe it's like yeah. a girdle
3: when the clothes are on, and then a
4: suck yeah. in when the
2: clothes well, when are those original off. original series tunics. The yeah. <laughs> they were
3: very baggy. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean they're just not flattering. And the yeah. pants yeah. are, like, super shirts.
1: short, too. Yeah. In the original yeah. series, yeah. they're super short pants.
3: But, <laughs> but, yeah. But so iconic
0: still, and, like, such a, it, it's a look. You know, they're going for something, and they're just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that like the next generation uniforms are pajamas basically yeah. which mm-hmm. they make fun of in Time Zero. But then whenever I see anyone in that uniform I'm just like hello sir and I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like salute immediately and I'm just like yeah you are an official person who has like a real function. I I right. it evokes a sense of authority uh, which is interesting and it's just all just good writing, you know, good mm-hmm. characters racing, incredible acting. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing on TV like Star Trek. I no. I'm the such a huge nerd. And Star Wars gets really close to mm-hmm. to being as precious to me. But if I had to choose one thing for the rest of my life, it's Star Trek. Like, that's the thing that satisfies every level of, like, emotion, every level of fandom for me, every mm-hmm. level of excitement and fun and adventure. and But also, like, you know, like having an ethos and just being important and, like, trying to... Uh, I'm so distracted.
3: Sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I will cut this out. I will cut out me being. Jesse's distracted, distracted because I discovered my fly was open. And I'm like, oh crap! My fly's open on radio. I'm you made, in trouble. You made the most wonderful face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. You weren't kidding earlier when you said, you know, we're just letting it all, yeah. we're just letting yeah. all out know. here yeah. doing things with our hands. Sorry. Sorry. Now I want to leave it in because it was funny, but I'll cut it out. Feel free. I
0: don't
2: know. Feel free? No shame. I am yeah. so I don't
0: know. If you have no shame, I'm leaving it in. All, all in. Brooks. All right. We're all in. Um, now I don't remember what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think you Something were actually serious. basically
1: just describing the exhibit.
0: Yeah. Okay. So take me back to the, when why, did you decide to do this exhibit? The exhibit? Yeah. When did you decide to do this and what was the sort of, um, what's the prime directive of the exhibit?
3: What are you sure. trying to accomplish? Prime sure. directive. Uh, honestly, we decided to do it 10 years ago at the 40th anniversary. Really? Uh, 10 years ago at the museum, we had this sort of Star Trek weekend that we threw together. Oh, cool. And it was sort of a hybrid. Not, It wasn't an exhibit. It wasn't quite a con. We brought out a lot of, of cast and crew guests. We had a number of sort of talks and events and... Star trek things were happening all over the museum all weekend long. And I remember in particular, um, all these Klingons came. And at the time, there was this Klingon fad to wear, uh, quote-unquote, Klingon pheromones, which was this foul-smelling stuff. And you could always tell when they'd been in the elevator, because you get in the elevator, oh, and it was yeah. just nasty. Whoa!
2: Hold on. Flashbacks. I gotta get <laughs> yeah. more
3: details about this. <laughs> what, what, this was a fad ten
0: years ago for, like, Star Trek fans? Well, just the... Klingons. Just the pe- the klingons the people that dress as klingons yes well
1: yeah but you can't say the. you just have to say klingons
0: yeah this is all new to me you gotta <laughs> you gotta indoctrinate me i don't know what's happening
1: there are or i'm assuming there still are uh back in the day back in the like the early 90s when i used to go to northwest con there were hardcore klingon groups and wow. hardcore romulan groups
0: did they fight oh yes like for real like
1: fist um, fights or stage um, fights. Well, they not like fist fighting, but they would, you know, like they, they, they might growl at each other when they saw <laughs> each other in the hall.
4: Whoa.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they you can't say people who dress as Klingons and Romulans. You just say you say Klingons, Klingons and Romulans. And Romulans. Klingons and
0: Romulans. Yeah. I'm so glad you warned me. <laughs> that could have been disastrous. Yeah. So they would wear a special scent. <clears throat> Did so? Someone in this group must have made a perfume. To wear, <laughs> yeah,
3: perfume is a is a, a loose, not quite the right word. Not quite word. the right word. Yeah, uh, that was just just one mine. element fair of what mine. was going on fair that mine. weekend. I remember wow. uh, this this um, this poor Amish family came in thinking they were in the Space Needle, which actually happens at EMP oh, a lot. Yeah, it
1: does. And they were looking
3: around, and then these Klingons came up, and one Klingon, like, growled at them, and mm. they, they beat a hasty retreat. Um, Everything you're
0: saying, uh, I just want to, like, dig deeper into. Tell me about people thinking they're in the Space Needle. Because I, when I worked at Starbucks, people would come in all the time. I was at Second Lenora. They're like, how do you get to the Space Needle? And I'd say, you walk outside. You walk outside. You look up and you walk towards the Space Needle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The giant
2: yeah. thing.
3: Yeah, yeah. well, because we're moderately close to the base of it. I mean, we're not, yeah. we're not outrageously close. We're like 100 yards away. You're in the same, like, park. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think people, they see this uh, outrageous building and they just think it's it's part of that crazy architecture. And, and uh. they come in and think we're the Space Needle. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we just send them to the elevator to the second floor and say, enjoy. <laughs> Although I will I think, say I love going up the Space Needle and
0: seeing the EMP from above. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. It's one of the it best is. views. Yeah. yeah. Like I, and like
3: Frank Gary must have known that, that people would see it that way. Yeah. That well, it's one of the few long views. I mean, most Geary architecture is designed to have on the ground level a long vista as you come up to it uh-huh. and we all we've got is Fifth avenue and and you know the longest vista you're going to get is if you're in the ducks parking lot mm-hmm. yeah so that's one of the one of the weird differences about this building compared to other Geary buildings yeah
2: yeah
3: okay, so you had the Star Trek party
0: ten years ago <laughs> ten years
3: ago and it was a big success, and we thought we fiftieth is coming, and we i mean it's not like we were immediately planning, but we knew we knew yeah. And then we got going on it in earnest two years ago and started to plan. And I started to um, do interviews with people and um, gather artifacts and, and do all that kind of thing. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to, I wanted to make more than just a, I mean, this is true for all of our exhibits. We don't just want to make an exhibit that's like, hey, here's the stuff, here's stuff. check it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We want to talk about something. And what I'm really passionate about when it comes to Star Trek is how Star Trek. Engenders and inspires all this creative output, and that's not mm. just fanish output. It's also just folks who are affected by it or who are into it. So, so how you see Star Trek everywhere,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, you people on Breaking Bad will stop a scene and just start talking about Star Trek, or <laughs> people redecorate their houses to to look like it's the inside of a of a starship, or totally. their cars, or their motorcycles. They will wear the clothes, mm-hmm. um, and then digging even deeper into things like. If you, you know, you can search the congressional record online, which is a record of all Congress and the Senate, all their discussions and debates and things. Search for the term Star Trek. It comes up all the time oh. in like high level policy debate. People use Star Trek as a metaphor for so many things mm-hmm. because everyone gets those metaphors. Yeah. Because Star Trek is just embedded in our lives. And that's and that's that's what I'm always saying. Star Trek is a language that everyone speaks. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to figure out why, explore why that is. Oh, awesome. That's so cool. So
0: we, we met a year ago when you were, can we talk about this now? Cause I, yes, please. Okay. So we met a year ago when you were conducting interviews for, uh, for this exhibit. And I was like overjoyed to be able to be a part of this. Cause my friend, Gene works at the EMP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just started podcasting at that point. So I was like fresh as far as just sitting down and trying to explain why I love Star Trek so much. Uh, and it was just, so much fun i just i remember feeling like very special that day because i got to go and like put my thoughts about star trek on the record somewhere but tell us about that project and what that's used for and like i know you were collecting interviews from a bunch of people yeah so i'd love to hear about that this
3: is this is one of my favorite parts of the show i mean as an aside the show will have you know a hundred star trek artifacts and mm. spaceships and costumes and all these interactives and things we're just talking about one element of it um it is this oral history project, where I'm meeting and interviewing people who are just either very passionate about Star Trek, like you, or whose lives have been affected by Star Trek in one way or another. I, I was very inspired by StoryCorps, that NPR project where people record their personal stories. I really like to have um, family members come in and interview each other, if I can. Oh, interesting. so I have this terrific interview with um, a mom and her son. The son is now about 50 and she used to take her sons to the earliest Star Trek conventions in the seventies. And she um, basically raised her sons in Star Trek fandom and she sewed them uniforms back before you could buy <sighs> uniform patterns and things like that. And they told all these stories about how they would take their cassette recorder, record just the audio off the TV of episodes and then on long cross-country cross trips, um, play those tapes in the car. And they didn't even have a tape deck in the car. So they just had the cassette player and like a giant bag of D batteries because they would go through the batteries <laughs> wow. so fast and listen to it.
0: That's incredible.
3: Or, or and some of the stories have been um, uh, very moving. I, I, I did an interview with a woman who, she talked about how her father didn't watch TV, except he'd come in the room and pretend to read the newspaper when Star Trek was on, Classic Trek, when they would watch. And whenever Sulu would come on, he would lower the newspaper and he would watch. And he would sometimes say, George Takei, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and she could tell that he was really fascinated by him. And it was only years later that she learned that her father and George Takei were in the same internment camp together wow. during mm-hmm. the war.
1: Wow.
3: Wow. Oh, sorry. So... It's things like that that, wow. that I can't show.
0: Even imagine that. Imagine seeing someone yeah. that you knew from that environment on TV mm-hmm. as a representation of Asian Americans.
3: Yeah. That's amazing. That is, amazing. and it was it was so validating for him. She says because because she saw that that here was a guy who had been in the same circumstances as him at about in about the same time in life. There was yeah. kids uh, able to to overcome that and overcome, get past the prejudice and and the way society was. Yeah, back then. Wow. um That's so uh, this project has been super fun
0: yeah, so what's what's the format? will people will we walk into a room and you sit down with headphones and listen to stuff or basically'm
3: is- I'm, I'm selecting out clips and organizing them around themes and you wait wow. to sit down and, and listen to these clips and hear this what people like so have to work. say. It <laughs> it is. isn't I I at the at the Star Trek Convention in Las Vegas, I interviewed these these two these brothers, the Goad brothers. Uh, they're from Texas and they have these deep, deep Texas draws and um they talked about their their middle-aged guys and they talked about how um their father owned a cotton gin and when they were growing up they still literally had like separate water stations for the white people and the quote-unquote colored people yeah and that they knew their parents were just <clears throat> kind of prejudiced but they watched a ton of star trek and Star Trek is what opened their eyes and and got them, you know, so that they weren't like deeply indoctrinated by their parents. Wow. One of them was a minister and he talked about using Star Trek in his ministry. Another one was gay and he talked about how that really helped him feel like that was okay. I mean, he came from this very conservative uh, upbringing. Yeah. So, and, and not all the stories are this heavy, of course. Some of them are just uh, loopy and fun. But... Yeah.
0: I... I actually got in trouble with my parents for talking so much on the podcast about how Star Trek like shaped my mind as mm-hmm. a kid because they're like, "What about us?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. um, You're just making it sound like you watch TV all the time. Yeah, yeah.
0: like my mom's like, "We taught you morals too," <laughs> which is super true. I mean, that is very, very, very true. But I mean, I will say this again: Star Trek really shaped how I view the world. And I, I was always such a weird kid. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm Jewish. I grew up in a very Christian society. Mm. And I think that no matter who you are in the world, if you feel like an outcast, Star Trek makes you feel included. Yeah. And to me, I didn't even realize this until like a month ago, but I think to me it was really Data that really made me feel included because Data is so weird. Mm-hmm. Data has <laughs> mm-hmm. no idea how to act like a human. Yeah. And he's just accepted, you know? Like they accept him for who he is and then they nourish him and he becomes a better person through that. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I remember as a kid you know, just that environment of acceptance made me feel like it was okay that I was a weird kid Mm because someday I'd find people like this that I would feel included with. And did you? Yeah, absolutely. It really, it was really moving to Seattle that did that for me. I was always weird in San Diego. (laughs) When I came to Seattle, I was like, fine. You know, I was like normal and maybe even slightly cool. (laughs) Whereas like in San Diego, I was just like the biggest dork. Uh, Where, like, I played in this band where we wore butterfly wings and fishnets and jumped around on stage like crazy people. And here, that's great. You know, everyone yeah, loves right, that here. Right. San Diego, we might get beat up, you know? And that things have changed a lot since I moved away. But, you know, me is growing up there in high school, uh, like if you're not like the stereotypical masculine man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then you do run the risk of, you know, uh, people. Well, for me, it was just a lot of like, being made fun of but some, right. sometimes it would turn to violence luckily that never happened to me and I I think that was more, maybe more my fear than anything else because it did never happen so I don't know but uh, but Seattle like I feel like people come here because it's just this great it's it's the closest thing I think to living inside of Star Trek that we can have right now yeah. where like the, the overall consciousness of Seattle seems to be elevated and progressive and uh, accepting of any type of person and you come here and you just be yourself and you'll attract people to you that like you mm-hmm. or just like people who are themselves. Whereas like in San Diego, I always felt like I had to be more like everyone else to fit in mm-hmm. and I was never really being myself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and maybe that's why I didn't fit in because I wasn't being myself. And maybe if I'd been more open, I could have, Interesting. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I would say, um, for me, uh, I'm an only child. So I watched a ton of TV and, and movies when I was younger. Um, And I always felt weird about it. And particularly as a teenager, I always felt weird about watching that much stuff. Really? Um, And it wasn't really until my early 20s when I got a job at Suncoast Video. (laughs) Uh, And then we had, you know, of course, all the VHS of next-gen seasons that were out, and original series. Um, And so we would go up to the Vancouver Star Trek conventions And sell all of our merch and VHS tapes and stuff like that. So much fun. And I think it wasn't until I did that. I mean, working at the video store helped, of course, because then I met a lot of like-minded friends who were as into that stuff as I was. And, you know, also had watched Star Wars A New Hope like 75 times Mm -hmm. and knew all R2-D2's lines and beeps and stuff. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's like it's it that made me realize going to the Star Trek conventions and being around people who also love that. And wanted to get Marina Sirtis autograph, which I still have. I have um, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just like talking, just being around people who were also as nerdy as I was about it helped me realize that, like, oh, I'm I'm not like this weird outcast. Yeah, you know, because I went I went to like kind of a rich high school, and it was all very cheerleader and sports based, and me and my friends were kind of like the weird new wave kids. And so, yeah, it's just, just just to be like somewhere out in the world and realize like, oh, well, you know, I can still be an adult, but have these action figures and, you know, watch these watch these shows and be really into that stuff. Totally. So I would say that that's the way that Star Trek made me, you know, helped me. The show is like one element, but also the other element is just being around people that also love it and realizing like, oh, I can talk to these people about this stuff and they'll think it's awesome rather than, you know, rolling their eyes at me and being like, what, what do you mean? How many episodes have you watched?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. I totally hear that. Yeah, I've been to two Star Trek conventions, and it, I was just like a kid in a candy store. Mm-hmm. It was so exciting. Yeah. And it, like, just having this podcast, too, like it's just an excuse to talk to my friends about nerdy shit that I love. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just get really excited. It's the best. And then get to listen to it again
3: later.
1: <laughs> it's the best.
3: Yeah. Brooks, how did uh, Star Trek affect you growing up? I mean, Star Trek has been with me all my life. Uh, i was i was in that i was of that age where where I was catching it on reruns in syndication the original series mm-hmm. every evening at five six o'clock whatever that was and i was uh the youngest i had two older sisters not so into it although later one of them became a huge next gen fan and 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 crazy crazy data fan but at the time you know she's a teenager so she wasn't into anything i was into and and i would um I would make my like my phaser and my communicator and my tricorder out of Lego, and I'd, I'd run <laughs> around the amazing. house with those. And, That's um, awesome. and every time I fired the phaser, of course, that just meant pulling one of the bricks off and I had to like <laughs> reattach it. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. Honestly, I mean, I would definitely. I mean, I watched every show, watched every series was was quite faithful to it, but I wouldn't have called myself like an intense, intense Trekkie until I started work on this exhibition and started to learn about, see what people do and see how it affects people's lives like I keep talking about and learning about all the books and all the comics and, and all this stuff that's out there. And it's like, it was a case of like, I thought I knew what Star Trek was, but this has completely opened up my eyes into into how big it is and how how important it can be to some people i think it's a beautiful although sometimes troubling vision of the future certainly one of the best i mean you hear people talk about that optimism a lot and it's a big part of it especially in 66 when it came out it was um shockingly groundbreakingly optimistic to say we're gonna get past all this stuff
1: no money like no money exchange is an interesting thing to think about
3: Mm mm-hmm I want that so bad. I know. I want it so bad. I want a
1: replicator real bad. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And and I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No worries, no worries, no worries. It we can go back to the tape. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so I I wonder if it's all coming around again. And this is why I'm very curious about the upcoming series. Because Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. now is a time when people are again feeling a ton of distrust in government and other social systems. They're not seeing strong leadership. They see a lot of war and um, you have things happening like the, the, the water in Flint, Michigan and all these things where it looks like just things are kind of fraying around the edges. And I think it's time for another shot of that great Star Trek optimism to say, Hey, you know, we can get past this. And the reason we can get past this is, is, through these core values of trusting each other and believing each other and valuing our, our differences and being excited by those differences, not just trying to be colorblind. I mean, this is one of, the, one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is I've come to realize uh, Gene Roddenberry was far from colorblind. He was, in fact, saying we need to celebrate what makes us different. Totally. That's what's important. Well, that seemed like a beautiful sentiment to
0: pause this conversation and we'll pick it back up next week. And it's just better and better. Good stuff. Aren't these guys awesome, Brooks and Amy? Aren't they fantastic? Really fun people to have on the show. So as you know, I am a synth pop musician, and I write sci-fi songs. And recently it occurred to me that when I started the sci-fi project, that wasn't necessarily when I started writing sci-fi songs. I wrote this song called Android Rock when I was a senior in college. It was for my... My final class for electroacoustic composition where I studied recording and all the great stuff that I, all the tools that I used to to make my music come to life. It was a really amazing class. Uh, Joe Waters was my professor and really inspiring guy who really shaped who I became as a musician. And his classes were so interesting because you wouldn't go to necessarily learn techniques, you'd go to learn how to open your mind to get to the place where music happens. And that's different for everyone. That's a different feeling for everyone. And my senior project in that class, my last project, we always had to have a a visual element to go with the musical element. So my senior project was a piece called Android Rock, which I ended up making a music video, much as I do now, you know? I mean, basically, this is kind of where the sci-fi project was born. I wrote this song called Android Rock, and the chorus is Come on, Jordy, fix that shit, crunch that data, data. So my first experience of writing music, in which I kind of flew through the stars with my with my Star Trek heroes, and just this whole thing happening with the EMP and and the fact that you know Denise Crosby and Brent Spiner are going to be there reminded me of when I was a kid and I wrote this song. A kid, you know, I was a kid in college. I wrote this song and I had this crazy idea that wouldn't it be fun to make a music video where Brent Spiner and Lavar Burton were in my music video, um, which of course is not happening, but. <laughs> But just getting to meet someone who created a character like Data, you know, being being in the same room with a person like that, who shaped your life in such an important way, is a special thing, you know. And I, you know, not projecting anything onto who he is as a person or who Denise Crosby is as a person, you know. There's that whole saying you should never meet your heroes because they're never what you expect. But uh, that's not what it's about for me. For me, it's being able to shake someone's hand and say thank you. You gave this to me, and it's been something that stayed with me my entire life. Star Trek is probably the only thing that I've loved this passionately for this long, besides my family, you know? Besides the air in my lungs, besides uh, pooping, which is always great. It's always been Star Trek. So as a special treat for the end of this podcast, I dug out Android Rock. I'm going to play it for you. This is a interesting, this is an interesting look back into who I was as a musician this is uh, very much the Dave Matthews band influence from when I was younger, I was really into that band back then, I was really into Radiohead I uh, always loved Radiohead, Coldplay Elbow, those are the things I was listening to when I made this song, this was the first sort of dancey song I ever made uh, to somewhat successful proportions this was a song that my old band used to play back in San Diego and it was our quote unquote hit and by that I mean it was one of the only songs people ever asked for by name because they remembered the name. And that that's something I always take as a, as a good sign. And I definitely think you can draw a straight line between this song and the sci-fi album, the music that I'm currently working on. The music I'm writing now just seems to connect to people and it's just so fucking special. Like, I've waited my whole life to write music that connected with people. And... It's just the most incredible feeling. I can't explain it. I can't explain it to you what it feels like to sit on stage and to share something with an audience and get something back from them in return. It's really special. Someone said to me recently, you know, you put yourself out there all the time. You put so much of yourself out there in these podcasts and in my music videos and my music and I'm always just making and releasing stuff. And my response to that was, yeah, and I get so much more back than I ever used to. So it's uh, it's a really, it's it's an interesting time in my life, it's really exciting for me right now, just existing and being around and loving sci-fi and having opportunities open up because of loving sci-fi. It's weird. It's great. I love it. Keep doing it. So let's jump back in time 10 years. I made this song 10 years ago. So crazy. So crazy. Oh, and I'd be remiss if I did not point out the fact that the music video for this does exist on the internet if you go to uh, YouTube and search for Jesse Plack, P-L-A-C-K, it's my old, my old me name, before I became the cosmic entity of Jesse Mercury, and you can see the video. Love you all. See you next week. Here's Android Rock.
4: Stay like it